0: Well, hello again. I um, thought I'd talk about something slightly different in this um, podcast, and it's kind of a, I suppose, a subset of what I've been talking about in some of the other podcasts related to wildlife photography specifically, but uh, this doesn't necessarily apply just to wildlife photography. So what I'm talking about is how to photograph um, subjects that are fast. So what I mean by that is um, generally a subject that is moving quite quickly. So an example of that that you may have seen in my photographs is a a breaching humpback whale. So you definitely want um, a high shutter speed and if you want to freeze the action. And that's one way of shooting fast. But an alternative might be to photograph, say, a car if you're at a motor racing event. And in that kind of photograph, you might want to convey a feeling of speed by having some parts of the photograph blurred with your subject frozen, or alternatively, the background might be frozen and your subject might be moving. So shooting fast subjects, um, as I say, goes beyond wildlife. And there are a few things to um, think about if you if you want to do that. And if you haven't done it before, I'd suggest that you experiment because it is quite a good thing to... Um, to be able to do, uh, depending on what kind of photography you uh, you do. And you can have some fun with it as well. You can be quite creative with how to uh, get movement into photographs. So the first thing I want to talk about is shutter speed because, broadly speaking, shutter speeds will give you certain effects. So if you're looking at thousandths of a second as your shutter speed, that is likely to freeze the action completely obviously depending exactly upon what you're photographing but generally if you're shooting thousands of a second you're going to freeze the action completely so you get one moment one of those moments in time uh, well let, let's say with something like a whale breach where you've got water that's frozen in the air you completely freeze that moment in time if you drop down to hundreds of a second you start creating room for movement to occur and one of my favourite shutter speed settings is 1 125th of a second it's the um, shutter speed I used to use these are back in the days of film (laughs) but um, definitely uh, the sort of shutter speed I would use when I was photographing racing cars I did a little bit of that um, at different events so what happens there and you need to track so I'm going to talk about that but if you want to freeze the vehicle but have that movement in it so things like blurring caused by the wheels rotating and the blurred background because you've, the vehicle has moved a certain difference while a distance while you've been exposing it, you want to be down at that kind of shutter speed. And again, I recommend that you experiment with it to see what works for you. Uh, cars are really easy to um, experiment with because most of us live somewhere where there are there's a road and cars going down it. So um, it's it's very easy to just experiment with different shutter speeds and see what kind of effects you can get, both by tracking and not tracking uh, the vehicle. If you go slower than that, once you start getting down to tenths of a second and then seconds, you're absolutely um, creating these um, images which have a lot of movement in, but the movement begins to cancel um, itself out if that makes sense, so you get these more ethereal looking images. So, an example of that might be a stream or a river that's moving relatively quickly. And again, if you have access to something like that, uh, it's great to just go along and try photographing it at different shutter speeds. But as you slow the shutter speed down, what you'll begin to do is create more of a kind of blurred. Um, subject, subject being the river or the stream um, or waterfall, if you want to, if you've got access to a waterfall, and you'll get very different results and the images will have a very different feel. So how you work with speed is definitely a factor in your creative contribution to your photograph. You can make quite an ordinary subject something that people will look at twice or even study, be drawn into as as a, a view of it they haven't seen before. So that basically is shutter speed, and one of the things I will say that whatever you're shooting, do try and do test shots before your commit. Before your sub, the subject you really want to get um, is in your viewfinder. So do take test shots to make sure that you've got a good exposure and that you're getting as far as you can the kind of result that you're looking for. Now that brings me on to another aspect of the photography with your camera. And if you've listened to me speak before, and I'm pretty sure I did a podcast on this a while ago, and I definitely talk about it in webinars, and that's understanding the modes on your camera. And the modes allow the camera to do some of the work for you, so it will calculate certain settings to get you a good exposure, but also you can retain some creative control or complete creative control or no creative control. So do understand the modes on your camera. And the two that are most relevant to this kind of photography are shutter speed priority and aperture priority. Now, you might think, well, if shutter speed is most important, then why isn't shutter speed the priority? But you might be concerned about things like depth of field, particularly if you're freezing the action. You may or may not want your background in focus or out of focus. If you're photographing at the Slower shutter speeds I mentioned. So, say at the one one twenty fifth shutter speed, um, your depth of field is probably less relevant because you're already creating a lot of blur. And even if the background is initially in focus, as you move your camera, if you're tracking a fast moving subject, you're going to blur the background anyway. So, this is where there's not an absolute right or wrong here, and you really need to work with what is most comfortable for you and what is most likely to give you the result you want based on the sub, can't speak, <laughs> the subject that you're shooting. So personally, I prefer to use aperture priority, but if I'm working to a particular shutter speed, so I want to be in the thousands, for example, I'll just make sure that for the aperture and the ISO setting that I'm using, and it might be a range of aperture settings, I'll just check the shutter speed, that that results in while I'm doing test shots just to check what I'm getting in that light and remember if you're photographing something that is moving then the chances are that the light how well lit your subject is will vary as it as it moves through the range that you're you're tracking it so do be aware of that so what if if it's in a bright area you might for example, with an aperture priority of F8, get a shutter speed of 1 4,000th of a second. But as it moves into um, a darker area, that might move down, drop down to 1,000th of a second or even lower. So do have a play. Try try some test shots just to see what you, you can get if you get the opportunity to do that. Often I've found um, there is the opportunity to do that as I arrive where I'm going to be taking the photographs. And then I just recheck it, um, particularly if I'm in golden hour. Um, which is that hour after sunrise and that hour before sunset where the light levels begin to change fairly rapidly. So you do need to remember that if you are using a mode to recheck your um, settings uh, periodically at least and possibly quite frequently to make sure that you are still getting a good exposure because with a good exposure, you've got a lot of options when it comes to post-processing and cropping, which is something else I want to talk about. But if your exposure is off, you can find that those options might be quite limited and you very quickly get images that look quite grainy or they're not sharp enough or whatever it might be. So do always keep an eye on um, correct exposure. That's probably the most important thing to do. Now, um, I'm going to talk about factors that will influence what you get. So this comes down to what is moving, and sometimes it's quite a lot of things so if you've again coming back to a breaching whale if you're lucky enough to go whale watching and you want to capture a breach and you want to absolutely freeze it I always use a very fast shutter speed so I'm always in the thousandth of a second and the reason that I do that is that with something like a humpback whale and you're photographing it from a boat you have to remember that obviously the whale is moving because it's leaping out of the water and that whole breach process can be as short as a couple of seconds you know sometimes if that because if it is a short breach it will only be up for um, a few moments really so you've got to be very fast the chances are the platform you're on so the boat is also moving uh, depending on how rough the sea is. You might be in a dead calm where there's very le- very little movement from the boat, but equally you might be in quite rough conditions, in which case there'll be a lot of movement from the boat. So that's a second factor to consider. And then thirdly, doing things like breech shots, unless you're very lucky, they quite often don't pop up where your lens is pointing. They don't pop up in the viewfinder straight away, or I guess on the, the rear screen if you're using one of those cameras. So you need to be ready to pivot fast and get that shot, and that comes. And you get that speed through a lot of practice. That's the only way to do it. But of course, that means that you're also moving. So your subject, your platform, and you are all moving in that moment that you're taking the shot. So hence, I always go for on the one on the face of it might look like um, a, a kind of much higher shutter speed than you would expect, but that's the reason why. Alternatively, let's say you're photographing cars, Um, the vehicle might be moving. So that scenario where you want to keep the vehicle and possibly the driver nice and sharp if you can see both. So this might be motor racing. This also could apply to things like football or or some other sport where you want to freeze the, the person, but you might have other movement in there. But where you're following your subject, you might be pivoting. If they're So in, in the case of a vehicle, in a car, that's probably going to be on a flat line. So it's just a single line across uh, your um, field of vision. So you're going to be pivoting as you take the shot. And so really the only things that are moving are the vehicle and you. But if you get your pivot right, you're tracking with the vehicle. So there won't be any movement. And obviously, because you're using a slower shutter speed, as I've recommended, so that you blur the bra- the background, you blur the wheels, uh, it is important that you get your panning speed correct so that you absolutely match the vehicle. Otherwise, everything's going to be blurred. Now, that might work. Um, it doesn't mean that that's wrong. <laughs> um, but, it may, but if it's not what you're going for, then you obviously do want to try and just pan with the vehicle. So again, uh, that ability to handle that technique comes with a lot of practice. So again, it's a question of practicing when you can. Now, if you're doing the opposite, where you want the vehicle to be blurred and the background to be still, which probably means that only the vehicle's moving in that scenario, um, then that's much easier because you can, you know, only one thing is moving, you're standing still. You can even use a tripod or something. So that starts to give you a lot more flexibility. You can try much lower shutter speeds than perhaps you would... Um, if you're in a hand holding and hand holding the camera, I'm not speaking well today. Um, that might be the, the kind of situation where you want really want to drop the shutter speed down, it might be tenths of a second. Now, that might seem exceptionally um slow, but if you're in a low light situation, so it might be an evening or a morning shoot, then it may well be that to get the other kind of factors, that you want, or maybe that's what you want, but you might be looking at a much slower um, shutter speed. So that might have the vehicle completely blurred through the f- frame. And here you're starting to look at light trails um, as an example. So you've no doubt seen those shots um, of vehicle light trails in, in a city usually, um, or on a road anyway, where the, the light trails are going right through the frame. So that would be taken... Uh by a camera, usually on a tripod, something like a tenth of a second. So you adjust your other settings. Sorry, that was me hitting my notes. So you adjust your other settings to make sure that you can sustain that particular shutter speed, and that will give you the results. So shooting things that are moving don't have to, they don't have to be fast, um, but that you can get a variety of different results. So another thing to think about is your framing. So one of the nice things to do, particularly if you are freezing a subject, is to visually give it space either in front of it or behind it, because that starts to lead to telling a story. So you may have heard me talk about uh, being a visual storyteller. If you leave space in front of your subject, whether it's a vehicle or an animal or whatever, you're basically suggesting that that subject is going to move into that space, that whatever's important to that subject in that moment is ahead of them. Equally, if you put the empty space um, behind your subject, so let's say your subject is looking out of frame to the right and you put a lot of empty space behind it on the left, that suggests that there's something going on behind it. Now, it might be that something that's just happened in the past. There might be a threat or something coming from that side that it may not be aware of. But you're, you're visually kind of suggesting possible scenarios for that situation to whoever is looking at that image. So this is, again, where you can make an image a bit more interesting by just changing the composition slightly. So you might create that composition straight off through the viewfinder. Or if it's something that's happening very quickly, let's say um, uh, an animal hunting another animal, so that's going to be all happening very quickly usually. Um, It might be, again, the breaching whale. It might be um, dolphins, and It might be something like that. Um, Often when you take the shot, you've got to do it so fast to capture the subject that you don't really get much time to frame it. So the framing will tend to happen in post-processing. So if that's the situation, then what I recommend is that you actually pull out, assuming you've got a a wide lens, a zoom lens rather, so pull out from the subject so that the subject is smaller in the overall picture. But that gives you more cropping options when it comes to creating the final image. So I, I always shoot raw. I always shoot with the highest resolution, the biggest picture that the camera will support, and that's one of the reasons I do that, because if I um, get into that situation, I'll tend to, I will tend to use zoom lenses anyway, so I'll just pull back a little bit. So my subject is initially smaller in the frame than it will be in the final image, but it gives me those op- opportunities to just recrop it in a more creative way and create a more interesting um, photograph with that subject. Now, I've spoken about tracking your, your subject, And obviously, if you're going to do that, it's really important that you focus on it. And this now comes back to how do you use the autofocus on your camera. So there's two things that I do. One is that I always go for um, a a single point focus. Usually it's the center point. So if you look at the um, autofocus settings on your camera, the chances are that you're going to see something that looks like a collection of little squares and um, they're in a larger group of squares, which might be um, a big block kind of horizontally. And there might be a vertical block in the middle, you know, so there might be a a kind of very rough kind of T shape um, made up of these little squares. And you might also see uh, markings around them that tend to group those squares. This, is basically how the camera is going to focus, but you need to understand what those points mean. So how do you select a group? How do you select all of them? If you're going to do a you know very broad focus, or how do you pick out one particular point? So as I've said, I, by default on my camera, I've set my autofocus up to just use the central point. The second thing I do, though, is I don't use the shutter button to set my focus. So normally... Um, what you'll have by default on your camera is when you press the shutter button halfway down, that causes the camera to set the focal point. So whatever you're looking at and however you've selected your points, whatever's in focus on those points is where the camera will set its focus, which is great if that's what you want to shoot. But if you don't necessarily want to shoot that, um, that can cause a problem. So one of the... um, Areas where this can be um, problematic is if you're photographing something that's quite small, let's say a bird flying in the sky, or there might be um, buildings or or other things, trees behind it. If you don't have your focus exactly on the bird at the time you take the shot, it's going to be, the camera will refocus on whatever's on that central point. So that might be a building, a tree or something else, but you're likely to end up with an out-of-focus subject. So. A way around that is to use back button focus, and what that means is that you reprogram one of the buttons on the back of your camera body to be the to set the focus so rather than pressing the shutter button halfway down you'll press a button on the back of your camera now um, certainly most i would imagine all pro cameras allow you to do that these days, and um, a lot of semi pro. So you'll just need to check if that's possible on the camera that you're using. It will all be on your camera body. Uh, But do look up back button focus and try it out. Initially, it can be a bit tricky to use. But again, with practice, it can become second nature. Now, the other advantage to back button focus is that once you've set your focus, as long as your subject isn't moving too far either towards you or away from you it means that focal point is pretty much right and you can compensate for that by just altering the depth of field as well so it gives you a a kind of focal a box that's in focus an area that's in focus that you want to keep your subject in Um, it means that you can just shift the composition so that your subject is no, no longer has to be on that central point because once you've set your focus you can forget about it and shoot away as long as that Focal distance hasn't changed significantly and and put your subject out of focus. I hope this is all making some sense, but it is worth worth looking into um back button focus if you find that you're you're having problems using the the standard focus setup even if you're not having a problem with it um having back button focus does give you a, a few more creative opportunities in terms of how you compose your shot if you've got time to do that so um I suggest, that, I suggest that's definitely um, well worth uh, looking into. Um, another thing to think about is burst, because often with something that's moving very quickly, and here I'm thinking of dolphins, but also I do this with um, whale breeches and anything else where an animal is moving fast. Um, you are likely to have um, shutter options. So do you take a single shot? Do you do a small burst? Do you do a large burst? Do you do it slow? Slow burst, where you're not shooting very quickly, or do just go, you know, full out and as fast as the camera will do. So generally, I go for the highest speed burst um, that the camera will um, support and go for as long a burst as I can. Now, sometimes, depending on how big your images are, you'll find that the burst duration, the number of photographs that the uh, camera will take with the button held down, shutter button held down. Uh, is quite limited so i find this on um, one of my cannons with a very large image size it can only write so fast the cards in the camera with a smaller file size um, then i find that the uh, the burst speed and duration are very high so again for things like porpoise and dolphins where they're jumping in and out of the water you know a fraction of the second they're visible the only way to get a shot is to just set up a, a an area in front of you that's in focus and then hold that button down and burst away, and you're going to shoot a lot of images that are terrible. But if you're lucky, you'll get one or two that are absolutely right. But for subjects that are moving very fast like that, it's it's pretty much impossible to set up a a shot in the way you normally would for, um, let's say, a static um, subject. So, um, yeah, that pretty much um, covers it. I would say you know, whatever you do, do experiment with this, but practice a lot, particularly if you're going somewhere um, for for a vacation, or it's a kind of trip that you may not get the opportunity to do again, really make sure you um, practice as much as possible. Depending on what it is you do want to shoot, birds are a great subject for wildlife, moving cars, generally, uh, you know, most people have access to photographing moving cars, and then you can just practice and try different uh, settings. So the kind of settings I'll just in terms of aperture, I'll tend to start at f/8 as a starting point because that's um, pretty much down the middle of the aperture range for most lenses. And if you're working with a, a cheaper lens, that's generally where it will perform the best. Uh, for um, pro and semi-pro lenses, it doesn't make a lot of difference. the um, uh, The performance of the lens at the extremes of aperture should be um, very similar. But um, if there's any doubt, Keep to the middle of the uh, the aperture range, so I would certainly do that. Okay, and that, frankly, is pretty much that. The only thing I haven't really spoken about is whether you add blur or remove it in post processing. Post processing. So I'm not a big fan of adding blur. Um, the reason this is my opinion uh, is that it's very easy to make an image start. To look like it's been over processed a bit in, in post processing so um, i try and avoid that i tend to keep my pro- post processing um process uh, system to um as, as as limited as possible because i really want to keep the shot as natural as possible i'll do adjusting for light and color those sorts of things um i'll definitely recrop uh to get uh, a more interesting composition but beyond that i don't do very much uh there is um Uh, a program you can use from Topaz Labs that will remove um, uh, movement in an image, if that's what you want to do, if you've got a a shot that you do want to process and is perhaps slightly out of focus. And it's one of those shots you, you you know, you absolutely love, but it's just not quite there. Uh, That's, um, I can't remember what the costs are for those. They're not so cheap, but it may be something that you um, uh, might find that you want to use a lot um, or, or not that much. So, the post-processing side I haven't really focused on very much, and I'll, I'll kind of leave that to you. So I hope you found that interesting. I hope you found that useful, and um, enjoy your photography. I'll speak to you next time. Bye for now. Just before I go, I want to let you know that there's a couple of ways you can support me if you feel so inclined. Uh, with the podcast, Buzzsprout, which is the um, the platform I use for all of my podcasts, they have a subscription model. So if you feel that you would like to subscribe, a few dollars, a few euros, whatever, um, to the podcast, that would be much appreciated. The other option is my Patreon membership. So if you'd like to become a patron, and that starts at the price of a cup of coffee every month, you'll get access to exclusive material, behind-the-scenes material, photography tips, all this kind of stuff, depending on which tier you're at. So there is information available through my website and um, also on the uh, uh, the written text to go with this podcast. So if you choose either one, thank you so much in advance. And whether or not you do, I hope you uh, continue to enjoy the podcast and let other people know about them. Thank you very much. Bye for now.